Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Powerful Parables. All right, well, the Gospels tell the story, as I just prayed, about the king. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about how the king came to the earth. And by the way, he wasn't created in Mary's womb. He is the eternal Word of God, the eternal Logos. And he came from heaven to earth. And when he came, when the king came, wow, did he ever come with kingdom power. One word from Jesus, if you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One word from Jesus, as I said last week, and blind people saw, deaf people heard, mute people spoke, Lame people walked, lepers were cleansed of their leprosy, and even dead people like Lazarus were raised from the dead. Why? Because the king had come, and he came with kingdom power. And so after hearing Jesus' amazing words, right, and seeing his amazing miracles, there shouldn't have been any doubt in any heart 2,000 years ago in the promised land that the king had come. But what happened? Israel's leaders, they decided to harden their hearts against the witness of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus was. And they rejected Jesus and they tried to lead other people to reject Jesus as the Messiah. Last week we saw, if you were with us, how low these religious leaders were willing to go. After Jesus did yet another miracle, the religious leaders of Israel said in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and in the power of the prince of demons, he casts out demons. In other words, Jesus is not the Messiah. No, just the opposite. He's filled with Satan, and he does power of uh, miracles in the power of Satan. And that's about as low as you can go. And that horrible statement, what did it do? It revealed the true condition of their hearts. How many of you understand that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? If you really want to know the character of a person, just listen for a little while. After a while, they'll reveal themselves. And so what was the true condition of the hearts of Israel's leaders? The true condition is that they had hardened their hearts, they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and they had passed the point of no return. It's kind of like if you're on a mountain in the middle of winter and, and you take that step off the side and there's a slippery slope, guess what? There's no going back. All that's left for you is certain death. And spiritually speaking, because these guys kept saying no, no, no to the witness of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus was, they stepped off the cliff and they passed the point of no return. What a shame. Now, what was the result of their rejection? It's your first point, if you're taking notes. Because Israel, and we're talking about the nation of Israel 2,000 years ago, we're talking about the leaders of Israel. Because they rejected their Messiah, the physical kingdom, please say physical kingdom, was put on hold, and a spiritual kingdom, please say spiritual kingdom, was inaugurated through what? The church. Isn't this exactly what Jesus said to Israel's leaders after the triumphal entry? Jesus comes in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. 
Israel's leaders are all upset, they're all proud, they're all arrogant, and so Jesus looks at them in Matthew 21, verse 43, and he tells these guys, and I quote, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Okay, who were the people producing the fruits? Who would those people be? The church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word church, ecclesia, it simply means called out ones. And so for the last 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit of God has been calling out from every corner of the earth. Listen to this, Jews and Gentiles. There's thousands and thousands of Jews on the earth today that recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And so the Holy Spirit is going throughout the whole earth and he's calling out Jews and Gentiles, people who bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything changed in the Bible after Israel rejected their Messiah. And so look at Luke chapter 17, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, when's the kingdom of God gonna come? Look at what he says to them. Things have changed, right? He said the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom is what? Within you, within you. And so Israel rejected the kingdom and the king. The physical kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, the promised kingdom from 1 Samuel 7 was put on hold and now from the first advent of Christ to the second a coming of Christ, now there is a new, there is a present, there is a spiritual kingdom, and it's inside of the followers of Jesus Christ. Paul calls it this in Romans 14. He describes it this way. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not something physical. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad for the joy of the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that we can come together as the ecclesia during a weekend service, during a worship time, and experience the joy of the Holy Spirit? I'm so glad um, that, that some of you came in to the first note of the first song and got to hear and experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm kinda sad that some of you came in so late that you missed, listen to this, an experience of joy unspeakable and full of glory. And by the way, let me say this, and, and, and let me just encourage you, set your alarms just 15 minutes earlier and just come a little earlier. Let me ask you this, is God important enough for us to be on time to church, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. And so don't miss out on what the Lord wants to do in your heart. And by the way, I know these people, I know their hearts, they're not here doing a performance, they're here to lead us to the throne room of God so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth and so that the king can display his joy in our, in our souls, the depths of our souls. None of that was in the notes, it's free of charge. <laughs> and so the spiritual kingdom from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ, it's not found on a map. 
with physical borders. It's not like, okay, we're gonna get in a plane and we're gonna drive to the land of Christendom, right? With physical borders, it's not like that at all. It's made up of called out believers from every tribe, every skin color all around the world. It's not visible, it's invisible. It's not physical, it's spiritual. It's not outward, it's inward, and it's about things like righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus wants us to learn about the spiritual kingdom in between his two comings. And so the way that he describes these, the spiritual kingdom is through the use of powerful parables. And so after Israel's leaders rejected Jesus, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but the Lord's teaching style changes. You especially see this, by the way, in the Gospel of Matthew when you get to Matthew 13. And so after Israel, the leaders hardened their hearts and, and decided, no, we don't want this man to rule over us, what happened was that Jesus' teaching style changes and he begins to speak a lot in Parables. Okay, so what is a parable if you're taking notes? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. By the way, BLB stands for Blue Letter Bible. You go to blueletterbible.org and you got a very solid Bible commentary on steroids. It's just amazing. Um, it's free of charge. You can make a donation if you want, but it's free of charge and it'll help you in your devotions. And so parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So the Lord wanted to describe this present spiritual kingdom to the people. And so what did he do? He told earthly stories that para come alongside. Earthly stories that come alongside and illustrate and describe this present spiritual kingdom. And so here's what we're going to do the next two weekends. What we're going to do is we're going to look at these powerful parables uh, today, we're going to look at what I think is probably the most famous of all, and that is the parable of the sower. Next week, we're going to look at the other three parables here in Mark chapter 4, and what we're going to do is we're going to learn, learn more about the present spiritual kingdom. What we're going to do is we're going to learn more about how the king can reign over our hearts. Does this, does this make sense to you guys? This is what we're doing. This is what's um, um, on tap for the next two weeks. And I want to encourage you to be engaged. I want to encourage you to have ears to hear and hearts to receive. Because here's, here's what you need to know. This applies to us, the church, today. Amen. Let me just say something um, real quick. And if, if, you, if you're not a, in the theology, you're not going to understand what I mean at all. But there are a group of people within Christ, the Christian church they ascribe to what's known as ultra or hyper dispensationalism. There's nothing wrong with being a dispensationalist, but what these guys do is they say the church doesn't start until after the book of Acts, and what is taught in the Gospels does not apply to the church today. I have one word for these guys, hogwash. <laughs> this absolutely applies to us today. Jesus is our king and we want him to reign over our hearts, and so we need to have ears to hear. So we're gonna dig into verse one. So again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat. He sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea 
on the land, okay? And so I, I want you to picture the Bible in your minds, okay? It's kind of like, here we go again. Here's another massive crowd, and they're gathering around Jesus. So much so, in order to avoid the crush of the crowd, like we saw three or four weeks ago, Jesus has to once again get into the boat, push off a little from the shore, and can you see there's thousands of people on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus once again uses the boat as his pulpit to teach these spiritual truths. And so it says now in verse two, and he was teaching them many things in, what's the word? Parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the, please underline, path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along, please underline, rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among, please underline, thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into, please underline, good soil, and produced grain. I can see Jesus smiling in the boat right now. Growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so from the boat, what does Jesus do? He uses a parable that's perfectly fitted for that first century agrarian culture. He gives us a picture of a farmer who's planting seed. Okay, and so at that time in the first century, they didn't um, plant their crops in rows like we do today. What they did is they just got a bag of seed tied it around their waist, and they walked out, and they just scooped up the seed, and they just began to throw it after they plowed the land. And they threw it, and they just let it fall wherever it fell. Now, in this parable, this farmer tosses his seed into, if you're taking notes, four types of soil. Okay, so here's the four types of soil. Number one is hard soil. That describes the path. The path that is either going through the field or maybe going around the field, but it's, it's hard. Why is the ground on the path hard? Because people are always walking on it, that's why. Okay, so that's the hard soil. Number two, you have rocky soil. And the rocky soil is made up of very shallow soil. It's a thin layer of topsoil, and it's right over a slab of rock, probably most likely limestone. Okay, so you have the path, you have the rocky soil, you have the thorny soil. The thorny soil is the thorny weeds that were around the perimeter of the field. Sometimes they would use these thorny uh, weeds to kind of separate field from field, farmer from farmer. And then finally, you have the rich soil, the fertile soil. Now, before we get to the interpretation of this parable in verses 13 through 20, I got to uh, share with you from the Bible why Jesus spoke in parables, and that's in our next verses, 10 through 12. Okay, so stay with us as we go verse by verse through God's word. 
It says in verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the who? The 12, okay, that's 12 apostles. So you got some disciples, and then you got the 12 apostles. They're coming to Jesus while he's alone, and they asked him about the parables. And Jesus says in verse 11, to you, I want you to circle the word you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, please circle the word outside, everything is in what? Parables. So that, this is one of the most sobering verses in the New Testament, they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. All right, so Jesus refers to two groups in verses 10 through 12. The first group, he says, you, okay, that's the apostles. And by the way, the apostles represented the coming church, which would start on the day of Pentecost. Okay, so the apostles represented the church made up of Jews and Gentiles that accepted Jesus. They're humble, uh, they're, they're receptive to the Lord. But then Jesus refers to a second group. He calls them those outside. And that's referring to the religious leaders. And they represented the nation of Israel, the nation that sadly 2,000 years ago rejected their Messiah. And through, so it was through the use of parables, the sharing, the speaking of parables, that Jesus would reveal, say, say reveal, Reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. Reveal the secrets of the new, present, spiritual kingdom between the two advents of Christ. It's through parables that Jesus would reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God to the apostles and to people later on who would accept the teaching of the apostles. But it was through the same parables that Jesus, as he shared these things, would, um, as he shared them, they couldn't be received by the hard-hearted Pharisees or Sadducees or the scribes. It was through these same parables, listen to this, that Jesus concealed, say concealed, the secrets of the kingdom of God. That leads you to your next point, and that is that parables were given to reveal and to conceal. Why did Jesus' teaching style change? Why did Jesus start speaking in parables? Here's why. Because he wanted humble people, receptive people, people with soft hearts who were open to him to continue to receive the teachings of the present spiritual kingdom. And why did he teach in parables? He taught in parables so that hard-hearted, arrogant, self-righteous people could hear the same truths and scratch their head and walk away and say, what in the world is this guy talking about? Now here's what's sobering. Look again at verse 12. He says, those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see and not perceive, that they may indeed hear and not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, why? Why in the world would Jesus not want these religious leaders to turn and be forgiven? Here's why, we found out last week. How many, how many, of, you are, how many of you were with us last week? 
We found out last week because these same religious leaders kept saying no, no, no to the witness of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus was. Because these same religious leaders hardened their hearts, they committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and they passed the point of no return. And so what Jesus does in verse 12 is he, he actually quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And so verse 12, Mark 4, verse 12, is a quote going 700 years back in time from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. So what's the context of that? The context of that is it's, it's the 8th century B.C. And God's people, the Israelites, had hardened their hearts against the Lord. And so what did God do? God judged them for hardening their hearts. How? Through the rod of his anger called the Assyrian Empire. How many of you guys have heard of the Assyrian captivity in the Old Testament? And so 8th century B.C., Israel had hardened their hearts, and so God allows the Assyrians to come down from the north. They defeat Israel, and they take captive the 10 northern tribes and deport them back to their land in the north. And so Jesus, Isaiah said that right before the Assyrian captivity. And so now, 700 years later, in the first century AD, Jesus quotes Isaiah, and what would happen just 40 or so years from the time Jesus says what he says in verse 12? If you fast forward from around AD 32 or 33, less than 40 years, what's gonna happen to Israel in AD 70? The Romans are coming, and they're going to attack Jerusalem, and according to Josephus, they kill 1.1 million Jews, and they burn down the temple, and God's people are scattered all over the earth. So the Lord tried. He came down the Mount of Olives weeping, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And there may be some here today and you've come into a church setting and you've already tuned me out and you've already rejected what I'm saying. You're already thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? And I gotta say that Jesus weeps for your soul because he wants you to humble your heart, have soft heart and receive what it is he's trying to tell you so that your life can be changed both now and forever. That's his will for you. And so the physical kingdom has been put on hold, but there's a spiritual kingdom coming and it's described by the Lord in parables like the one we have right here before us. And so let's look at the interpretation of the parable of the sower. Look at verse 13. He said to them, that's the 12 apostles and some of the disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? He said the sower sows the what? Okay, so before we go any further, I gotta uh, share with you or ask you three questions. Okay, number one, who's the sower? Number two, what is the seed? And number three, what is the soil? Okay, so I'm gonna give you a cheat sheet. So everybody's on the same page. Okay, the sower, I heard somebody say, Jesus, you're absolutely correct. He is the sower, capital S. He is the word. He is the logos. 
But did you guys know that anybody who shares God's word is a sower? And did you know that God wants all of us to be sowers, throwing that seed as we live our lives? And so the sower, anybody who shares God's word, the seed is God's word, and the soil is the human heart. And so God wants us, all of us, not just preachers like me, but everybody, to be tossing seed during the week, tossing his word out into the soil of human hearts. And I believe the best way, one of the best ways we can do this is by sharing our testimony. Oh, please hear me. If you're with me, say amen here. Everybody's got a testimony. And testimonies are made up of three points. Number one, who I was before I met Jesus. Number two, how I met Jesus. Number three, who I am since I met Jesus. It's just that simple. You have a story, I have a story. I wanna encourage you to write out your testimony this week. And incorporate, because this is where the power is, incorporate scripture into your testimony. And so my three points, this is by far um, nowhere near the extent of my testimony, but my three points are this. Who was I before I met Jesus? I was a religious person who was lost. If you would have asked me in those days, hey, do you believe in heaven? Yep. Are you going there? Yep. How come? Because I'm a good guy. That's what I would have said. And then one day, thank God, there was a friend of mine, he gave me a gospel track. And I took it home and I read, for by grace are you saved through faith and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, this is God's word and for the first time in my life, I had been in church every week of my life. For the first time in my life, I came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's not my works. Then I keep reading this gospel track, and the next thing it says in Romans 6, 23, is the wages of sin is death. And now I'm really under conviction. Okay, so that's who I was before Christ. How'd you meet Christ? Here's how. I read the second half of Romans 6, 23. How many guys are happy there's a second half? For the wages of sin is death, but, everybody say but. but. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so here I am, and, 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 and now all of a sudden I'm reading this gospel track, it says that Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God for my sins in his body on the tree. He died in my place. He was my substitute. And at the moment that I transferred my trust from trusting in Mike Wiggins to save Mike Wiggins to trusting Jesus Christ alone to save me, I was born again. I met Jesus Christ. Who was I before? A religious person who was lost. How did you meet Jesus? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Who are you now after? I'm devoted to helping people become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ because Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And so that's my story. What's your story? Write it out. Incorporate Bible verses in there. And then when you're in conversation with people during the week, You'll know when the Holy Spirit wants you to share your testimony and just start to share it. 
Let the chips fall. And so the sower represents those who share God's word. The seed represents God's word. And the soil represents the human heart. Okay, so what are the four types of human hearts? Here's where we're going to spend the rest of the message. Jesus said there's a hard heart. There's a stunted heart. There's a distracted heart. And there's a receptive heart. So those are the four hearts. Let's start with number one, the hard heart. Okay, so here's the interpretation. Jesus says in verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. Did you see that? Satan immediately comes and takes, oh, he has the power to do that? Yep. He immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so here, here's the scene. The sower, he's throwing out that seed. And that seed falls on the path. Boop, falls right there. But the soil's so hard, it can't penetrate. And so it's just laying there. And all of a sudden, here comes the bird swooping down and eating that seed. And that represents when the word of God is, is shared with people with hard hearts. They hear the word of God, either in a church service or you sharing your testimony or a Bible study or on TV or wherever. They, they hear the word of God, but either they don't get it, they don't understand it, or they outright reject it. And so what happens when they leave the church? This is not made up in my imagination. This is the word of God. This is what Jesus says. He says, Satan comes and he takes it. In other words, people walk out of church services like this and they have hard hearts and as soon as they get out in that parking lot, vulture-like demons come flying down, you know, if that's what a vulture does, <laughs> and goes down into that person's heart, sticks their nasty whatever they have into that person's heart and pulls out the word of God. Wow, if we could see what goes on in the spiritual realm, it'd freak us all out. I think it happens every weekend here at this church because people are like this. My mama made me come. I don't want to be here. <laughs> and it happens. Have you guys ever thought about this? Did you guys know that the word of God is the only thing Satan is concerned about stealing from our hearts? Yes. Satan doesn't try to steal a math lesson from a kid when they leave school. He doesn't try to steal a scene from a movie when a person leaves a theater. He doesn't try to steal the score from a ball game when someone leaves the stadium. He doesn't try to steal a line from a newspaper article when someone reads Fox News or CNN. But he does try to steal this. Why? Because this has power. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But did you guys know that some churches make Satan's job easy? You know why? Because they stopped teaching God's word. It's not cool anymore. It's not hip. You're not gonna get those millennials if you teach verse by verse. And so, so many pulpits in America, what have they done? They've exchanged the teaching of the word of God 
for messages about self-help or topical messages revolving around people's felt needs or pastors share story after story after story. And so, hey, Satan doesn't have to worry about sending demons to those churches. The word of God is not even being taught anymore. God help us in the United States of America. This is the answer right here, whether it's cool or not. And so there's a hard heart, but then number two, there's the stunted heart. Look at verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. See that? They receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. So they endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So the sower throws that seed. Some of it lands, lands on shallow ground. Here's why. I'll say it again. There's a thin layer of topsoil, but underneath it, there's this limestone. And so does the seed germinate? Yes. Does it sprout? Yes. But guess what? The roots are trying to get down, but they're being blocked by that rock. The roots can't get underneath into the moisture. And so what happens is that it sprouts, but as soon as the sun comes up, that poor little plant is scorched and it withers away. Why? Because its root system is so shallow. This illustrates what happens when the word of God is shared with someone who has spiritual roots that have been stunted. Initially, they receive God's word with joy. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And they're like, yes, I believe. But they don't grow spiritually. They don't develop roots that go down into the moisture. And what happens is that the sun of difficulty, people mistreating them, Hard times comes up and it beats and beats and their attitude all of a sudden is, where's God? If there's a God, why is all this bad stuff happening? And they wither and they fall away. Ladies and gentlemen, we need more than John 3.16 to become lifelong followers of Christ. John 3.16 is one of the greatest truths ever known to man, but look at me please, there are hundreds of truths that God wants us to learn And God wants us to live out. The author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 6.1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. This is a word for some of you this morning. Go on to maturity, spiritual maturity. Our model here at Calvary Port St. Lucie is the first century church. And so on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches that Jesus Christ, 3,000 people believe and they're baptized. Praise God, but they were not content with just being converts. So what did they do? They let their roots go deep. What do you mean? Here's one of our main verses here at Calvary, Port St. Lucie. They, in Acts chapter two, the first century church, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Who are the apostles? Peter, James, John, later on Paul, guys like that. 
You've heard me say it a thousand times while they were alive, they were the living authority. When they died, thank God, people wrote their words down because now this book is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. And the church continually devoted themselves to the word of God. And I'm so glad that it's Sunday at 11 o'clock, this room is filled with people. What does that tell me about you? That tells me that you're not content with just being a convert. You want to grow spiritually, and you know that happens as you receive and live out the word of God. And so I commend you as your pastor for being here. But it wasn't just that. They also continued steadfastly in fellowship. It says they met on the temple courts and the big the, the, the big crowd, and then you keep reading Acts 2, 41 through 47, now they're getting together in homes. Say homes. Okay, you know what that means? That means small groups. Oh man, this is huge. We call them life groups here at Calvary. I love my life group. They were over Thursday night. We stayed, I think, until like almost 10 o'clock, me and some guys. Yes, it's a closed group. My, my group is, um, I want to pour into men who are called to full-time ministry. But listen, I love that so much because it's not just what I can share with them, it's what they share with me. And iron sharpens iron. And I'm making closer friendships with a handful of people um, in the church and they're praying for me and I'm praying for them. They're, they're ministering to me, I'm ministering to them. Is your Christianity just defined by sitting in a row once a week or once a month? Then you're just a convert. Why don't you let your roots go down into the water of the apostles' teaching and into the water of fellowship? Why don't you join a life group? It's so important, I'm telling you, this will set your life on fire. Now, some of you are in groups, and you're saying, it's not that great, I'm not connecting. We recognize that in a church this size, so get another group. Go to Pastor Jacob, say, hey, it's just not really working out, I don't, I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. He'll understand, he'll put you in another group. Just get into a group. We have 650 people or so in groups. That means we have, the church this size, hundreds of people who are not in groups and they're just coming on Sunday morning, and we have to change that, amen? amen. Thank you, I think about 80 said amen. <laughs> and there's probably 600 in this room. So can we change that about our church, amen? amen? Yes, let's do it. Eight week commitment. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, that's communion, and prayer, and so when when hard times came to the first century church, the sun came up and began to beat on them, mistreatment from people, persecution from people, difficult times, because their roots had gone deep, man, they stood strong in the faith. If we don't do the same, we're gonna be like the parable, and we're gonna wither. And so we saw the hard heart, the stunted heart, let's look at the distracted heart in verses 18 through 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, 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 right? So the cares of the world, that's worry. 
deceitfulness of riches, that's thinking that stuff will fulfill you, and the desire for other things, that's accumulation of material stuff, enter in, and what does that do to the word? Chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. And so the sower's throwing that seed, some of it goes all the way over to the perimeter of the field and lands in the soil where there's some thorny weeds. Does it, does it germinate? Yes. Does it sprout? Yes, it grows up, but it's crowded by the thorny weeds and they choke that word. Okay, that illustrates someone, as Jesus said, who is all caught up in two things. Worry, worry, worry. Riches, riches, riches. Worry, worry, worry. Oh my goodness, their minds constantly go on anxiety, anxiety. What if I fail my test? What if I lose my job? What if I can't pay the bills? What if the doctor says it's cancer? Worry, worry, worry. You maybe heard me say this before, but my wife and I had the awesome privilege of raising three girls who are now all adults who love the Lord, but when they were little, how would I feel as a dad if I'm walking down the hallway and my, let's say, seven-year-old daughter, I hear her whimper, whimper, and I go in and I say, what's wrong, honey? And she's crying, why are you crying? And she says, dad, I don't, I don't know if you can pay the FPL bill this month. <laughs> what would that do to my heart as a father? The first thing I would look at her and say, you're seven. <laughs> and then number two, I'm your dad. I got this. Go to sleep. <laughs> How does God feel? The one we sing to about being sovereign and in control of all things and being omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and eternal. How does our father feel when he looks down at you as his son or daughter and you're worrying and worrying and worrying? It breaks his heart. He wants you to have faith, not worry. He already gave us the remedy in Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will, that's a will, be added to you. Son, daughter, put me first. I got this. Go to sleep. It's called faith. Now, maybe some of you need to stop eating out so much and <laughs> take Financial Peace University. But he wants, he loves, he's your daddy, he loves you. Worry and riches. Oh man, if I could just get that million dollars. Then, woo, I'm fulfilled. If I could just get that bigger house and that yacht, wow, if I could have that yacht, my hair blowing in the breeze, going down the intercoastal, <laughs> then I'll be so fulfilled. No, you'll be so probably miserable. Now, if you're a born-again Christian walking with the Lord, you're keeping God first, and he blesses you with riches, you'll be fulfilled, but it won't be because of the yacht, it'll be because of the joy of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You see that? So don't keep accumulating stuff, 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 because the more stuff you accumulate, the more you gotta maintain the stuff that's breaking down, and it chokes the word. 
Here's our final heart, and that is the receptive heart. And that's our last verse in verse 20. Please stay with me all the way to the end, okay? Don't pack up till we're done. But those that are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. There's Jesus smiling in the boat while he's teaching. Actually, he's not in the boat now. He's talking to his disciples quietly, but he's smiling when he says, bear fruit. This is what God wants from you and me. And bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And so the sower throws that seed. It hits that fertile soil. It goes down. It, it all of a sudden um, comes alive. It germinates. It sprouts. There's no rock hindering the roots. There's no thorny weeds choking it. It's just good soil. And the roots, can you see it? Man, they're going out. And as much action that's happening under the soil, action is happening above the soil. And the plant's growing strong. And all of a sudden, pop, 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 pop. There's fruit. There's grain. And we've glorified God. This is what illustrates when the word is shared with humble, soft-hearted, receptive people and they receive it, and they say yes to it. And the Holy Spirit of God causes there to be life and causes there to be growth because the kingdom is within us. But don't you know, when it's within us, it comes out of us. What comes out of us? The fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, okay? Ask yourself, Am I a loving person? Do I love people that I don't agree with or look differently from me or have a, difficult, a different political bent? Do I still love them? Love. Joy. Do I have the joy of the Holy Spirit or am I miserable? Just be honest with yourself. Peace. Do I have the peace that surpasses all understanding or am I full of anxiety and worry? Patience when the person cuts me off on 95. What comes out? Kindness. Am I kind or do I bite people's heads off? Faithfulness. Am I faithful to the Lord, to my family, to my spouse, to my local church, or am I undependable? Meekness. Am I gentle? and self-control. Has the Holy Spirit so crucified my flesh that the sinful man inside of me has no power over me, and so I'm not gratifying the sensual appetites of my flesh in private, but God has given me self-control. The last point is simply the four hearts. There's a hard heart, a stunted heart, a distracted heart, a receptive heart, which heart, where are you at? What do you have? And I wanna encourage you, don't just ask yourself that question because most of us will say, well, yeah, number four. <laughs> now here's an idea, guys. Ask your wife. Which heart do I have? Not now, because I don't wanna do counseling for the next two hours, okay? Wait till you go home. 
But guys, remember this, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Don't bite her head off because she says, well, you're a little distracted, honey. But, but if you want the truth, ask your wife. Wives, if you want the truth, ask your husbands. If you're single, ask your boyfriend or girlfriend or a friend that you hang out with a lot. And just tell them, hey, I'm gonna become selfless, God help me. And just, just, just go ahead, I'm ready, tell me. If you wanna grow, do you wanna grow? You need the truth, the truth will set you free. Please stand for closing prayer. Prayer partners, come forward. So we have prayer partners, if you're new to Calvary, we have prayer partners on either side of the platform, but then we have some elders and pastors in the middle. And so here's, here's what happens, I close in prayer, and then those of you who need prayer, as others are leaving, you're invited to come, and there's no hurry. And so if you need um, someone to pray over you, that's what these prayer partners are for. Can we, I don't do this enough, can we thank these people? Man, they, they are awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, if you're here today and you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, because here's the thing, none of us are born Christians. If you get sprinkled as a baby, that doesn't mean you're automatically a Christian. It's not in the book. If you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, I'll have some elders and pastors down in the middle, and you can come, um, and they would love to share with you how you can start that relationship, amen? And so, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your love for us and your goodness to us. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.